Lord, our soul does cry out to you. Hallelujah. Praise and honor. For you are risen. You conquered death and the grave. And you give me new life. Today, as we look at your story, Lord, I pray that uh, I want you to be in the spotlight. We want you to be the one that's famous through all of this. And we pray in the name of Jesus, the risen one. Amen. Good morning, everybody. If it is your first time, we want to make sure that we welcome you. Um, and if I could, yeah, go ahead and get some guys doing that. Um, we would like to welcome you this morning to 12th Avenue, and we're glad to have you, even if you've haven't been here in a while, it's great to have you back. I've seen some old, some of the Waters clan is here and some others, so we're glad to have all of you this morning and just excited to be able to celebrate uh, Easter and resurrection with you guys today. I'm going to stick this here. Tyson, could you bring that other, up that other one also? And if you could just sit it right here, that would be great. Um, we are going to be doing... For the last five weeks, we've gone through the story of God, and today we're going to put it all together. And if you're like a following note type person, there is a sheet of paper in there if you want to like write along with me or draw, or if you get bored and have nothing to do, you could draw like funny faces in the circles. Um, there's also a completed one. This week also, we've got a, a postcard for, I mean, for everybody, but uh, as you've been following the story, this is something that you can keep in your Bible with you. Um, so that you can always keep in mind wherever you are in Scripture that you're kind of knowing where am I in the story. And we have, I mean, there's one in each bulletin, and we had enough of these printed that if sometimes couples will just grab one bulletin. If you're wanting one to take home and you don't have a bulletin, I think, Lisa, we can have some of these back on the tables. Is that right? Yeah, we'll have some of these back there on tables if you want to grab one of these on your way out. So... Let's get started. I'm so excited. As we've done this, I've been telling the, the family here that this story, that we're going to do today, has totally captured my heart. If you don't know me, I grew up uh, unchurched, no faith, no religion. Um, of all my friends, I was the only kid that didn't go to church. And so I grew up knowing nothing about the Bible, nothing about God or any of that. And when I, in my teenage years, started to go, God started drawing me on a journey to Himself. And as I eventually worked my way to the Bible, I was really surprised to find that the Bible wasn't a religion textbook, kind of like I thought, a book of rules and all of that. I was really surprised the Bible actually was primarily a narrative, that it was a story. And then it's one unified story, and that caught me off guard. And this morning, I want to share that story with you. And here's one, there's several reasons this is really important. Um, uh, we're going to kind of get to this at the end, why this is really important, when I talk about my journey and how it concluded. Um, but also, the fact is, we're story creatures. We, as humans, we love stories. We find meaning and we're shaped by stories. 
And we, more than ever, we live in a, we live in a storied, storied age where the, really the dominant means of understanding our world is through stories, um, movies, and all of that kind of stuff. Tyson saw that coming. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you, you were that close, man. Yeah, that round thing, the gray is how you tighten that. The knob right there, yes. Your dad was awesome. Did you see that? He was like that close. You, you have kids, I can tell. You're practiced at seeing the disaster coming. and Yeah, is that still going to... Okay, maybe you can just stand up here for... For an hour. <laughs> we'll see if that holds up. Like, you know, like any story, the story of the Bible, it has a beginning, it's got the setup. It has a crisis moment, the conflict, the problem is introduced. There's rising action, there's climax or a turning point in it um, where the protagonist's most challenging, difficult challenges happens and it, it actually solves the problem. There's the falling action and the resolution of the story. And I want to tell you, I hope you leave today agreeing with me, this is the greatest story ever told. I'm convinced of that. This morning when I talk, I'm going to talk a lot. I'm not going to, I'm going to reference it, but I'm going to talk a lot about four relationships. There are four key relationships. There's my relationship with God, which is the spiritual there's my relationship with others, which is the social relationship, my relationship with myself, which would be the psychological or emotional relationship, and then my, emo- my relationship to nature, which is a physical relationship. The key relationship being this relationship to God, and as we talk through this story, I think this will make sense. I use this illustration all the time. If you imagine uh, this, if, if I were to put these up here, they are all, they did it, they all held together. But if I separate this top one from the magnet, I mean, what happens to the rest? They fall apart. And so in the Bible, this relationship with God is the key relationship. It's like the magnet. It's the thing that gives power and energy into all the other relationships and make them healthy and work well. So I am going to refer to this every now and then this morning. Um, and the story happens in four quadrants. Quadrants. We're actually going to start, if you're drawing with me, we're going to start in this quadrant right here. This is where we begin the story. I don't know if any of you have seen Captain Marvel, the movie recently, but Captain Marvel actually starts not at the beginning of the story, but it starts uh, a ways into the story, and then it goes back to the beginning, and it shows you how it got there, and that's how I want to start this morning. So what I want to do, I hope everybody can see this is we all live in a world that I think we all would agree is beautiful, right? That's interesting. You can tell I had a, my master's degree was in art. And that is not a nuclear bomb going off. That's supposed to be a tree. Uh, Some guy thought I was like drawing nuclear warfare or something. Um, So I want you to tell me where, where where, where do you see beauty in the world? And I want to talk about the created world, not so much about humans right now, but where do you see beauty in the world? Just shout out some things. Sky, birds, sunsets. What else? What? The ocean. Do I hear mountains, anybody? Any mountains out there? Okay, mountains. What? Yeah, 
Actually, that, that's a great transition. Not only do we see beauty in the world, but we see beauty in humans. Don't you see beauty in people? In family, okay? Where else do you see beauty in people? <laughs> Where? Where, Tim? I... Oh, he'll be back next week. Where else do you see beauty? Patience, Patience when people are patient. Friendship, kindness, compassion. Yeah, in a, in a small child, an infant, right? You see beauty. But don't we also, though, don't we see in the world a lot of brokenness? Don't we see a lot of brokenness in the world? Tell me, where do you see brokenness in the world? And right now, I don't want to talk about relationship brokenness. I just want to talk about in the world. Where are places we see brokenness in the world? Earthquakes? Huh? Yeah, drugs, which would be kind of relational. What else did I hear? Floods. Yeah, like up in Nebraska. War. Cancer. Parkinson's. Both my parents had those two diseases. All kinds of disasters. But I think we would also agree, would you not agree, that people are broken, that I am deeply broken, so I want to know, where do you see brokenness in people or in human things? So I, we've heard war. Where else do you see brokenness in huma humanity? What? Crime. Human trafficking. Addictions. Pardon? Abortion. Hate. Mental illness. We've heard this morning of bombing of multiple churches in Sri Lanka. Okay, we, we all see brokenness in humanity, but I think we all in our gut know that it's in here. We feel it in here. We sense it in here. And so here's, here is the question, is how did we get here? Has the world always been this way? Is it just inherent? Or was there something before and if there was something before different, then what happened that got us here? And so that's where we have to go to the story of God. And to do that, I need to go back to the beginning. So, we're back now. We're up on the upper left. And what we're told is, is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was full of His... His beauty and His goodness. And when He created, He created everything. And then the, the crown of everything, the, 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 like the, the crowning beauty of His creation is He created humans. A man, well, it looks like He's sitting on a chair. <laughs> a man and a woman who were stamped with His image, who reflected His beauty and His goodness to all of the created order. And He created them. Now, being the creator, He's the king, Right? But he, he, we told he's the kind of king that he, his rule is a loving rule. And he created them specifically to live in intimate relationship with himself. And when we read about this creation, we read um, in Genesis 1, when it talks about the creation, six times as he creates, he, he creates something. He goes, man, that is good. And he creates again, and he said, that is good. And he creates and he says, man, that's really good. And then the seventh time at the end, after he creates the humans, he goes kind of like, you know, mwah. He says, this is very good. It is perfect. It's exactly how I designed it to be. So it was a place that was totally full of his goodness. 
And the, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, you know, Hebrew is the, old, the language of the Old Testament. They had a word for when God created all of this. The word they used was it was full of God's shalom. It was full of His shalom. Yeah, I've got, man, I've been talking. I've got a bunch of stories to skip through, slides to skip through here. Yeah, it's the state of wholeness, of being, of universal flourishing and delight, um, of absolute goodness per permeated and prevailed everywhere. Everything was rightly ordered, rightly related. There was perfect harmony. Everything was exactly as it should be. That's how He created this world. Um, it was, again, it was just, it was perfect. It's exactly what He wanted. And so... What we find is in the beginning of his story is that it was created for good. Joshua, I need your help. I'm going to peel this off and hand it to you. And then let me, would you run this over here and stick it up here on the far two left ones. Those are kind of your two corners, if that makes sense. So he created everything for good. And by the way, as, when I t tell you I'm telling you God's story, I didn't say a really important thing, which is, is he doing it okay? Has he got it straight? That's pretty high, I know. That's, is that when I talk about this being the story of God, I don't mean it in the sense of a myth or a fairy tale. I mean it in the sense that if I sat down and had coffee with you and I said, tell me your story, that you would tell me your life and I would tell you my story, that's the sense. So that if God were sitting here and we said, tell us your story, I think maybe this is what this is what he would draw. Now, let me say one thing about this, if you don't mind. Because the first time you encounter this idea and you hear that, sometimes it's easy to think, oh, that's just a fairy tale. Only children believe in that in la-la land, right? This thing isn't real. And I want to I speak to that for a minute because I think, um, because I had that sense you know, at the beginning, and I want to talk for a minute about this idea of a perfect world, that it's not just a pipe dream. Um, what I want to argue is that deep inside of all of us is a longing for this world, and I think deep inside of us, we know that this world is true. In The Lord of the Rings, I really love this, the first movie, it says, the world has changed. I feel it in the water, I feel it in the earth, I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. And some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. History became legend, and legend became myth. And we have this, this deep soul longing for a perfect world, don't we? All of us. We have this longing for it. We, we write songs and poetry about it. We imagine it. Dorothy sang about it in The Wizard of Oz when she sang about some place way over the rainbow that was once in a lullaby. It's this nameless soul longing that we have for a better world. And here's the thing that C.S. Lewis argued is, why is that there? Why is that longing in there? If we have never experienced this world, why would we have a longing? L let me, to illustrate his point, let me ask you a question. How many of you are here this morning and you cannot wait to leave today to get home and for Easter lunch, you are going to make up a batch of momos? I mean, you're just sitting here dying, hoping I'll get done so you can have momos. How many people here are longing for momos? Okay, I only see two because they've had them, and that's the point that C.S. Lewis said, is you never long for something that you've never experienced. You never long for something that you've never experienced. 
And so he says, where did this longing for, that we have for a perfect world come from? Unless it is in human history, unless at some point in humanity this was our experience and it's written deep on our soul. That's why Walt Whitman in his closing lines to Song of the Universal, he says, is it a dream? Nay, but the lack of it is the dream. The lack of it is a dream. Okay, so the story starts well, but then, as in any good story, there's always conflict and tension that comes in. Satan enters the picture, and we find out that the man and woman, they reject God as king and essentially say, you're out of here, we don't want your rule in our life. They reject that relationship with him. And they lead kind of a coup d'etat, you could say. They're like, get out of here. We're going to run this place by ourselves. We want to be in charge. It's kind of like the story of Apple and Steve Jobs. The founder of the company creates this awesome company. He hires John Scully to be the CEO to help him run it. And within a year, Scully has led a, a, a coup d'etat. He, he, he gets the trustees vote, vote Steve Jobs out of the company, and he's gone. The thing that he created. And what happened to Steve Jobs, what happened to Apple as soon as Steve left? Totally tanked, almost went out of business because, yeah, the creator was gone. And so they decide to center life around themselves. And the effects of this, they're catam cataclysmic. What we're told happens is, is that humans become, um, now instead of God-centered, they become self-centered, self-focused, self-absorbed. It becomes, instead of about the focus on him, it becomes about me. And then what we're told is, is in all four of those relationships, I'm going to flip this back over, in fall, all four of those relationships, once that relationship with God is broken, everything becomes broken. As soon as they make that choice to reject him, immediately the man and woman begin to argue about whose fault it was. That social relationship is broken. They are broken internally. The big three of guilt, fear, and shame come into human experience for the first time, and they become emotionally broken, and they become broken in relationship with the creation. We're told that it is no longer a safe place for them to live, and they no longer care for it the way they're intended to. And that image of God that they had becomes shattered, not totally lost, but they no longer represent Him well. And humans now, we're not what we're created and intended to be. And sadly, we're told that they abdicated their position in that creation of being rulers with God. They abdicated to Satan, the one who, um, who tricked them into doing this, to where he became the one that the world became under his authority now. So that sin, it, like, it goes through all of creation, like sin shockwaves through all of creation. We're told in Romans that by the sin of one man, death reigned. And the creation, the whole creation was subjected to brokenness, to futility. And it is now in bondage to death and decay, to corruption. The whole creation is now groaning right up until the present time. Their sin affected everything. And the goodness of creation, not totally gone, but much of it was lost. Now darkness and pain and suffering are commonplace. Disease, genetic disorders, famine, natural disasters, aging, death, they all enter the picture. Oppression, pollution, war, poverty, crime all because they displaced God. And that shalom of God is shattered. It's gone. Everything is fractured, twisted, broken. There's this languishing and sorrow now. Evil and sin permeate and prevail everywhere. Things are no longer rightly related, rightly ordered. There's struggle, conflict, discord. 
Things are not the way they were intended to be. Paradise is lost. So we have broken by sin. Joshua, I need you again. Broken by sin. Thank you, sir. So the question is, what's God going to do with this? What's He going to do with the broken world? Is He just going to tear it up and throw it away? Is He going to start all over again? Is He going to just ignore it and just let it continue to go? Well, we find that that's not what God does, and that even though they rejected Him, that's not what God does to them. What we find out in the Scripture, I'm not going to spend much time, is that God's mission now becomes to reconcile, to restore, to renew everything, everything, all things on creation back to Himself, that He will make everything new again. So His overarching purpose is nothing less than the restoration of the totality of His creation back to its original design, to bring everything back under His loving reign. That's His mission. That's where He's going to go with this, this great restoration. So, how's He going to do it? Here's what Isaiah says, the Lord looked and he could not find any justice. He couldn't believe what he saw. There was no one around to correct this awful situation. He could not find anyone to help the people. So he did it himself. He took on the work of salvation. And he did this by entering our world through Jesus Christ, the return of the King, Jesus whose name means God to the rescue. And so amazingly what we find is, is that God enters into this broken world. Out of love, He comes back into it. And Jesus comes proclaiming himself as the true king. The kingdom of God is coming. And everywhere he goes, he does miracles and does things to demonstrate that God is back and God is in charge. And everywhere he goes, he brings love and life and liberation. Everywhere he goes. Everywhere he goes, darkness flees. And everything he does in these relationships, you see him restoring people back into relationship with God. You see him talking to individuals who, who are very broken internally and the words and the things he says to them, he's bringing an internal shalom, healing broken emotions. He heals so broken relationships. He writes wrongs and injustice, brings people back together, shows love and compassion to people that are outsiders marginalized. And he shows his power in restoring creation. He raises the dead. He, he, he calms storms. He creates wine for, for Presbyterians only. He creates wine. He, he uh, again, he, he heals sick people, people can, with congenital illness from birth. He heals them. Again, he raises the dead. And everywhere he goes, he is showing the kingdom of God. He's showing what it's like when God is back in charge. But there's a surprising turn in the story. You know, every great story has that surprising turn, right? Before things get better, they get tragic. And it's always, in the really, really good stories, it's unexpected. It totally catches you off guard. You don't see it coming. Like Gran Torino, you never see it coming. Or Vader in Star Wars, 
that, that turn that catches you off guard. And so it is in God's story. So we see Jesus with firm resolve march into Jerusalem, knowing that in a week he will be arrested, he will be tried unjustly, he'll be beaten, spat upon, and he'll eventually be executed on a cross, the worst form of execution ever created. God changes his crown of glory for a crown of thorns. I want to tell you what's happening on that cross. Three things. Three things. They're all S words. Number one is sin. On the cross, Jesus was taking my sin upon himself. He lived the life I should have lived, and he's dying the death I should have died for my sin. Romans 6.23 says that the penalty of sin is death. We're told that he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. And that Jesus, the one who was without sin, but for our sake, my sake, he became a sin offering so that through him I could be made right with God. So he was bearing my sin on the cross. If you've ever been in church or even close to it, I think most of us know this, we've heard this, but there were two other things going on in that cross. Secondly, he was sharing in our experience in pain and suffering. And man, I could just, I could talk so much about this, but in all four areas, how he suffered, he, and he entered into our emotional suffering by entering into our world. He entered into the social suffering. He, he knows what it's like to be betrayed by friends, to be abandoned, to have your family turn on you. He understands all of that. Um, he understands that separation, that spiritual thing, because when he was on the cross, we're told that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's a cry of spiritual anguish because Jesus, who had eternally been in intimate relationship with the Father, the Father, as He bore that sin, turned His back, and the alienation that I should have experienced, Jesus experienced that relational alienation at that moment. And I think you all know the greatest pain in the world is not physical, it's relational, right? Especially being, having somebody that you most love have to tur- turn their back on you, that's the greatest pain, and He goes through this deep cosmic pain. Hebrews says that, um, that he, he had to do this. He had to become human so he could understand us and share our pain. Um, when my dad died, wow, seven years ago, and I prayed and I'm talking to Jesus. He says, I understand. I've been there. I've done that because his father died when he was a teen. So he's, he's entered into our world of suffering, and he understands. That's why William Barclay says, the fact of Jesus coming is the final and unanswerable proof that God cares. And then Satan, that on the cross, he was taking upon himself all evil so that he could defeat it and defeat the power of darkness and be victorious. The Bible says he came to destroy the works of the devil. And when Jesus was on that cross, it was like, you know, when, yeah, it says in Luke 20 through 5, when he's arrested, this is the hour when the power of darkness reigns. Like darkness is, it is really, it's on the move right now. Any of you guys, when you were kids, take a magnifying glass and focus the sun on a pinpoint on paper and start a fire and burn a hole in it? That's what was happening on the cross. It's like all of evil, all of evil, human evil, spiritual evil was zeroed in and focused on Jesus with the greatest intensity ever bent on his destruction, and they succeeded. They struck him down. 
Jesus carried the worst part of human experience, which was death. He himself experienced our death. Again, the worst form of death ever invented. He took our ruin and death upon himself. But that's not the end. Oops, that's not the end. We're here today to celebrate the fact that three days later, Jesus rose victoriously victoriously from the grave. And I want you to know that in Him rising from the dead, He defeated all of the spiritual powers of darkness, all of the forces of evil, and He defeated death. And so through Him, we now have victory. And what His death and His resurrection especially means is the good in the end will win, that God will triumph. And so this part of the story is called Rescued by God. I'm going to take care of this one, Joshua. Now, a a good question is, then what in the world is going on? Why do we still experience evil if He vanquished it? Because we are told that He triumphed over them. But that victory on the cross and resurrection was in military terms what you call a decisive victory. When the enemy is defeated decisively, but not yet ultimately, the battle that, that assures the victory in the end is one. It was midway in the Pacific. It was D-Day in Europe. And it was several months or years before between decisive and ultimate victory. But he does promise to one day come again and have ultimate victory. So, but what's he doing now between that time when he came the first time and he comes again? Here's what we're told, that if people will bow their knee to Him and receive Him in a relationship, which I did too long ago for me to tell, that I centered my life on Him, I wanted His forgiveness for my sin, and I accepted Him and received Him, because 1 John 1.12 says that to those who receive Him, who believe in His name, He gives the right to become His children. So I entered into the family of God, and not just me, but people from all over the world are sending their lives around Jesus and believing in Him. And He is creating a community of people who love and who worship Him. And here's what's really cool about this community is inside of each individual, whenever you receive Him, He gives you His Holy Spirit. And we're told the fruit of the Holy Spirit produces, that it produces in our lives is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That the Spirit puts inside of me His shalom that was lost at the beginning. And then this community is a community that's to be made of, of shalom, a community of, of love and of unity that you don't see anywhere else on the earth. And then this community of people that he created, he sent on mission. He sent on mission to be a part of his restoration of all of creation. This community that he calls, that we call the church is sent to heal. He sends it out into all creation, touching different parts of it. And so now, we as His community, we are to be the people that wherever we go, we bring love and life and liberation. Wherever we go, darkness should flee. That wherever we go, that, um, that there's substantial healing happening throughout creation. And if you're like, I'm not sure I see this thing, I want to tell you. Joshua, you want to come up and grab this one? Though we are not perfect, and I am not perfect, the community of Jesus has done substantial healing and continues to do so in the world today. Yeah, that one goes over there. 
that the community of Jesus through history, wherever they have gone, they have started schools, universities, done literacy, built hospitals and orphanages, done disaster relief, rescued people from sexual trafficking. It was the followers of Jesus who ended slavery. It was the followers of Jesus. If you look at the women's movement up in New York back then, predominantly it was people who followed Jesus. Wherever they have gone, they have been about this mission of healing creation. And then one day, one day, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to return, we're told, to the world as king. And at that time, we're told that when he comes back, he is going to finally defeat Satan and destroy him. All people will stand before him in judgment, and those people who never received him, centered their life around him, accepted that offer of forgiveness and relationship, will forever be sent away from him to not live in his presence. But those of us who have centered our lives around him, this community of people, the Bible says that he will raise our bodies new, and not only will he raise our bodies, he will put our spirits and souls back together, but the Bible says that He will create a new heaven and a new earth where we will live eternally with Him. We are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth that God has promised where goodness will finally be at home. And as Jared Tolkien, everything sad will come untrue. The goodness of God will come back into this. He will fill it once again with His shalom. It will be full of His presence. It will once again become the perfect world that, uh, that he intended. And this part of the story we call restored for good. And for good is a little bit of a, a double meaning here, not just back to the original goodness, but when we say something is for good, what do we mean? Forever. So we will live with him forever and ever on new creation. Joshua, thank you, sir. Everything will be exactly it was intended to be. Can I read to you about this new creation? It says, the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And God said, look, I will make new heavens and a new earth. The troubles of the past will be forgotten. I'll make those troubles go away. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and first earth had disappeared. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. All my people will be blessed by the Lord. I will provide for their needs before they ask. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. They will live securely, for then His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The desert and dry land will become happy. The desert will be glad and will produce flowers. Wolves will live in peace with lambs. Leopards will lie down to rest with goats. Lions will eat hay as oxen do. They will not hurt or destroy each other on all my holy mountain. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers nations. He will swallow up death forever. My people will be happy forever because of the things I will make. I will make a Jerusalem that is full of joy, that will never again be heard in that city the sounds of crying and sadness. God will wipe away 
every, from every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death, sadness, crying, or pain, because all the old ways will be gone. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove His people's disgrace from all the earth. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sadness will flee away. The people will shout for joy. Their faces will shine with happiness about all the good things from the Lord. Because my people will be filled with the good things I give them, says the Lord. And they will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. And at that time they will report, We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and full of shalom. Shout and be glad, I am coming, I will live among you, says the Lord. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the sea is full of water. And at that time, the new king from the family of David will stand as a banner for all peoples. The nations will come together around him, and the place where he lives will be filled with glory. Now God's presence is with people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and, they will, and will be their God. Everyone will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. And the Lord will be king over the whole earth, and, he will rule, and we will rule with him as kings forever and ever. From the ends of the earth, we will hear singing glory to the Holy One. And when we enter this world, I think this is what we may say in the words of C.S. Lewis, I have come home at last. This is my real country I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life. All my life when we are in that new creation. This is the place that we long for. This is our heart's desire to return to that paradise. Okay, I want to wrap up with why this is such good news. The question, first let me start with this. Here's the big question. I'm going to move this for the worship team. I mean, okay, nice story, right? Pretty cute, okay, that's nice. I mean, but how do you know this is true, right? Isn't that the question? How do we know this is true? That's why today is so important, because that was my question. Um, when, I, when I was first exploring, the thing that frustrated me about religion is religion was so subjective, right? One religion says God likes green or is green. Another religion says God's blue. And I'm like, okay, how do you know? How do you really know? I needed something objective, something I could sink my teeth into. And then when I found out that the Bible was actually a narrative, a story, and that at the center of that story, at the center, was an event, not just His death, but His resurrection, an event that happened in history, that, for the first time, gave me something I could sink my, my teeth into objectively. Now here's something, if this truly happened in history, that I, you could do historical research and evidence and find out, did that event really happen? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because if He really rose from the dead, historically, what does, to, you know what that proved to me? It proved to me that everything He said was true and that this whole story was true because the story is about Him. That's why when he said the religious leaders, when they said, can you give us some evidence that what you say is true? He said, you will arrest me and I will be crucified and three days later I will rise from the dead. And so Jesus offered his resurrection as the evidence for all of this. The resurrection is the center of the story. It's really what I build my faith upon. It's, it for me is everything. 
That's why Antony flew, the greatest atheist of the last century, a little over a decade ago, made a conversion. He had debated Ron Habermas, who actually was one of my professors in my master's degree the year before I got there on the resurrection. And it kept in contact, and here's what Anthony Flew said, the evidence for the resurrection is better than for claimed miracles in any other religion. It's outstandingly different in quality and quantity. It is the most, the best attested event, actually, in ancient history, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's what convinced me of the reality of this story. And so that's why it's traditional on Easter that the person up here would say, He is risen, and the response would be, He is risen indeed. So can I get the worship team to come up? Okay, I want to end by coming back to the story for a minute, this being the story. I hope they have space up here for everything. It is a story that's a unified story that points to Jesus. <laughs> and here's what I want to tell you. This is what captures my heart. I want you to know this is the story that we all love. This is the story we all love. The stories, the movies that most capture your heart, your affection, your attention are the stories where somebody gives themselves sacrificially in love for somebody else. Is that not right? Frequently giving of themselves in death. Those are the stories that move you, that even men, we get moved and cry a little. You know, we'll do this kind of thing. You, you rub the one eye like this, like you got an itch, right? But there's tears actually in both, but you do this so that your wife has no idea of what's really going on. Those, those are the stories that move us. Those are the stories that move us. And in a lot of those stories, the person that dies and gives their life in sacrifice, what happens to them? They come to life, right? Now you say, okay, that's a fairy tale. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Let me, I've asked the people here the last few weeks to watch the movie Tangled. I want you to look how much tangled is the story of God because once upon a time, a hip, a hop, a skip, a boat right away, there grew a kingdom. And it was ruled by a beloved king and queen and they had a healthy baby girl. For that moment, everything was perfect. But then that moment ended. just like that, it was gone. Then some guy shows up that you would never imagine is the person that's going to change everything. And he gives his life for her. I mean, he's, aw, <laughs> and all the guys are out there itching their eye right now, right? <laughs> then the unexpected.
last she was home. She finally had the real family, and she was a princess that was worth waiting for. The kingdom rejoiced, for their lost princess had returned. The party lasted an entire week. Beloved by all, she led her kingdom with all the grace and wisdom. And I'm telling you, dreams came true all over the place. And we're living happily ever after. And I, I can't do this without throwing this dude in. <laughs> okay, do you see that these stories we love, that's a great story, that it's the story of God. But do you know why I love Tangled so much? Because not only does it tell the story of God so well, but it, it was the third or fourth time I watched it that it caught my attention. I had missed the very beginning. The first words of the story are this. This is the story of how I died. So if God sat down and told us His story, how He created everything for good, that it became broken by sin, how He had to come into it and rescue it, and He's sending a community to heal it, but one day He will return and He will restore it for good. And he would say, my story is this. It's the story of how I died and how I rose. Isn't that cool? So, this is, uh, this is a story all of us love, and I think that the reason we love these stories is because I believe God has put His story in our heart, and we're drawn to those stories so that when we see His story, not just fiction, but the story that happened in history, okay? that Tolkien told C.S. Lewis, the thing that led to his conversion, this is the one true story that happened in space and time. That this, that we would recognize this story, this one that happened in history, and our, like our jaw would drop and we would be like, oh my, that's God's story. This story is amazing because it's true, but it's amazing for one other reason, because you and I are invited into it. It's not, he is the main actor and it's his story, but we have a part and he died to bring me into relationship with himself so I could become a part of his restoration movement. I'm sent to heal and that one day I can live with him forever on that new creation, frolicking like a well-fed calf. That's our story. That's why Resurrection Sunday to me is so important because everything to me, this whole story is grounded in that. So can we stand, celebrate his resurrection? Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of you. This story that we love so much, that we love in so many other stories, it's your story. Today we celebrate the day you rose from the dead as the centerpiece of that story. And that's everything. That is everything. And so, Lord, we just want right now to celebrate you and your resurrection from the dead. And I pray in your name. Amen.
Nothing can stand again. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. If you're uh, like I was long ago at this point of like, is this really true? You're kind of wanting to know, you're curious. On the way out, we've got two booklets for you. Um, one is a Gospel of Mark in a very modern, easy-to-understand translation. You might as well start with the story of Jesus. It's, it's uh, Mark's story of his life, his death, his resurrection. It's not very long. I recommend that. There's also a little booklet back there called Why Easter that it talks about some of the evidence for his resurrection. So feel free to grab one of those on the way out if you would like there's anybody here who is really a little curious or you're like, I've got some really big questions. Again, you're kind of in a seeking posture. I'm just going to be up here on one of the sides of these, this stage sitting here. And if you just want to slide up and ask me a question, if you want to talk about what's it mean to have a relationship with God, anything about evidence for resurrection, I've got a few booklets up here that talk about the historical evidence for that fact, then feel free to do that. But I want to remind you, this is not just God's story. It is a story that He invites all of us into. We have to accept that invitation into it. And if you will, it will change your life. He radically changed my life. He'll make you part of a community that's being a part restoration of creation. And one day you will live on that new creation with Him forever. I invite you to join His story. And for those of us who are family and are part of 12th, I just want to remind you as we leave today that you are sent to heal. You were sent to heal. So let us go as restorers into God's creation. And again, he is risen. All right, you are sent.